Hey guys, thanks for listening to the College Age Movement podcast. This week, we are starting a new series entitled Kings, Prophets, and Prostitutes. And the idea behind this series is to talk about the lineage of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus. And that included kings, it included prophets, and it included prostitutes as well. And so the tagline about this is the mess that brought about the Messiah. And today we're going to talk about uh, King David, uh, a character, a man that many of us have heard of before. You've heard the story of David and Goliath. You've heard of the story of him being appointed the next king of Israel, all these incredible things. Uh, but the story that I want to talk about this week is this, is the story of David and Bathsheba. And, and here's why. I think it's important that we understand that the Savior of the world came from a line of very messy people, and he continues to use messy people today. And that should be really encouraging for you and I because we are obviously messy and broken. So we should know that God used messy people, and he continues to do it today. So we're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to start with verses uh, 1, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. It says, In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. So the first point is this, aware and don't care. David David was the most powerful man in the known world, and he could have had whatever he wanted, but he also was a man who distinctly knew the difference between wrong and right. See, this was a, a man that, that God called a man after God's own heart. He knew right from wrong. He knew what would be the right decision in the situation. He knew it was the wrong decision in the situation, but he decided to let his humanity get the better of him. David knew what he was about to do was a sin, but he did it anyway. And I think that we can sit here and we can shake our heads and say, like, how dare he? How dare David do something so obviously wrong? But we've probably all been in a similar situation, maybe not walking around a roof and seeing someone bathing, but we've been in a situation where we identify our sin, and yet we still step into it. There's so many things in our lives where, where we feel like we can get away with it, that it'll be the last time that we do it, that we'll, it'll be the only time that we do it. No, it won't hurt anybody but me. So we identify the sin and then we step into it anyway. But I think it's important for us to ask ourselves the question on a regular basis, like why do we allow ourselves to step into that sin when we know full well that we shouldn't? And I think one of the reasons is this. I think that we've bought into a lie that sin is always a tricky, sneaky thing. But if we're honest, we identify it before it happens a lot more than we would like to admit. Like, if you want to put a number on it, like I would say that probably like 75 or 80% of the sin, sin that we commit in our lives is something that we know stepping into it that is not the right thing to do. Maybe even more. You see, we've been granted the gift of a conscience, and we know, especially as followers of Jesus, when we're stepping into something, when it is right and when it is wrong. I know that for me, one of the stories that sticks out with this is that when, when I was in high school, uh, like a lot of guys, I struggled with pornography. And we had a computer room, and, and I had this, this public computer that, that my whole family used, but I knew how to clear the history. I knew all the tricks, or so I thought. 
And I remember I had it set up specifically in the room so that I could see if one of my parents coming down the hallway and I could click out of something really quickly if I, if I wasn't supposed to be looking at it. And uh, I went to an open gym for basketball at Rocky. And uh, I got home, and I knew something was wrong right away because both my parents were sitting in the living room. I, I thought my dog had died or something had happened to like one of my relatives. Uh, but my mom started crying immediately, and I could tell my dad was really pissed. And so I was like, oh, no, this has nothing to do with me. And so they had found it on the computer, and we had this, this big conversation. But in the moment, I was just like, what? Like, no, I, it must have gotten on there by accident, and somebody must have clicked an ad. And I, I tried to make up excuses, and, and my parents were full of grace and also full of a lot of truth, and, and we had a really good conversation about it. But nothing about that, I, I didn't have a conversation with my parents and be like, I didn't know it was wrong. Like, I thought that was completely normal and completely okay for me to be doing. You see, I knew that it was wrong, but I had stepped into it for months, time after time after time. And I think that we do that with a lot of things in our lives, that we identify it, but we still decide to step into it. So why? Why, why do we do that? I think what's really interesting is that First John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, gives us a, a good picture of one of the reasons why we, why we do that or why we, we fail to walk away from sin. It says this, it says, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, this verse seems very harsh. It seems like, hey, if you know Jesus, you're not going to sin anymore. And if you look at the whole context of the chapter, that's not exactly what John is trying to say. But what John is saying is that when we fail to abide in Jesus, we find ourselves stepping in to sin. Abide is defined as to accept or act in accordance with. You see, we are failing to act in accordance with who God is calling us to be. That is why we identify sin and we're still willing to step into it. You see, David knew what it would be to act in accordance with whom God was calling him to be, but he allowed his humanity to cloud his judgment. And we, we can identify with that, right? That, that we can identify with not acting in accordance with who God is asking us to be. We know who God wants us to be on, in 90% of the situations, and yet some of the times we still fail to do what he has asked us to do. I think that we need to be a people who war against our humanity and regularly step into the will of God, to actively war against our humanity, the humanity that wants to fight against who God wants us to be. And I think that it's also really interesting that, that we can be most susceptible to the sin we never thought that we would struggle with. You see, David had wives. He had no reason to, to need to have sex with this other woman. And so he probably didn't guard his heart against those kinds of things. And we can become susceptible to the sin that we don't think that we're going to struggle with because we don't prepare our hearts in the right way when it comes to those kinds of things. We need to get out in front of our sin and not just engage with that which we are currently in, but we need to engage in that which we might just come up against. You see, we need to create hedges of protection around our lives in every facet because the enemy is looking for ways to get around our protections. And if we are only focusing on one thing, we're going to become vulnerable everywhere else. You see, David didn't know that Bathsheba was going to be bathing when he looked out of his window or when he was walking around on the roof of his palace. But here's what inter what's interesting. 
I want to look back at verse 1 of the same passage. It says, In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabab, but David remained in Jerusalem. So in the spring at times when kings go off to war, which David is the king, he decides to remain in Jerusalem. See, David was not even supposed to be there. He wasn't even supposed to be at the palace. And if he would have been where he was supposed to be, he wouldn't have seen Bathsheba bathing and he wouldn't have committed this sin. So I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is this, is am I supposed to be here? Am I supposed to be here? One of the greatest ways that we combat the sin in our lives is making sure that we are where we are supposed to be. And that means physically. Am I residing in the place that God has asked me to be? Am I physically in the situations that God would want me to be in? Am I at this party or am I in this situation? Can I remove myself from that situation physically speaking? Because there are things where we find ourselves physically not where we're supposed to be, and that's where sin takes a hold because we're not where God has asked us to be. I think that am I supposed to be where I am? Am I am where I'm supposed to be emotionally? Like, am I supposed to be here emotionally? Am I making sure to have healthy emotions so that I can handle my relationships and my circumstances well? Am I working on my emotions? Am I working on my mind, on my spirit, on my heart? So that when things come up, I can handle them with good emotion and I cannot act out of impulse. And then spiritually, have I made an intentional effort to prepare my heart and my spirit in tandem with God to make sure that I am prepared for the attacks of the enemy? Am I praying? Am I, am I preparing? Am I doing the things spiritually that would allow God to work in tandem to, with me to protect me from the advances of the enemy? I think that this is a point that I don't want you to miss, is that prayer and preparation lead to correct location. Prayer and preparation lead to correct location. When we are intentional beforehand, we will end up at the places that we want to be, that God wants us to be more importantly. For David, the absence of physical altercation, war, where he was supposed to be, the absence of physical altercation led him to believe that he didn't need to be prepared for battle. But what he didn't understand is that there was a battle warring within him between his humanity and the man that God was calling him to be. So he didn't prepare, and that is why he lost this battle. You see, when we only prepare for what we expect, we do become vulnerable in all the other aspects of our lives. So we need to prepare for that which we expect and prepare for that which we don't as well. Verse 5 says this. It says, got to turn the page. It says, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Oops. Right? This wasn't something that David expected to happen. But the next point is this, is that action leads to consequence. Action leads to consequence. There's always a consequence to our actions for good or bad. Every single thing that we do leads to an outcome. And for David, an impulsive decision led to a life-altering consequence. See, David thought that he was going to get off, he was going to send her home, and be done with it. And how easy is it, is it as, oh my gosh, how easy is it for us to identify with David in this? It doesn't have to be sexual sin. It can be anything in our lives where we thought it wouldn't be a big deal. And now it's stuck to us and we carry it everywhere we go. And some of us carry it for just a couple days and some weeks, some months. And then some of us have been carrying things for years because we did not anticipate that the outcome or the circumstance would be so messy. 
But where we find ourselves and what we do there will directly affect where we go next. Where we find ourselves and what we do there, how we respond will directly affect where we go next. So next, I just want to talk about what King David does next, right? The man after God's own heart. So he must have done it right. And this is a 20 verse section. So I'll just give you the spark notes version. So what David does is he calls the front lines of battle and he says, send Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, send him home. I'm going to bring him home. I'm going to feed him. I'm going to give him drink. And my hope is that he's going to go home and he's going to sleep with his wife and then she'll be pregnant and he won't know any better. He'll think that it's his. But Uriah being a faithful warrior and knowing that all of his men are still out on the field, he says, no, I won't do it. And so he just sleeps in the doorway of the palace. And no matter what David does, he won't go home and sleep with his wife. So instead he sends word forward to Joab, the the commander of the army, and he says, put Uriah at the front of the battle where the fighting is most intense. Uriah is killed, and then David takes Bathsheba on as one of his wives, which makes everything better, right? He is trying to solve the problem. But the next point is this, is that when we take take action apart from God, we dig ourselves deeper. When we take action apart from God, we dig ourselves deeper. Not once in the reaction to the news that he was having a child with Bathsheba did David approach God. Not once did he look for for something to solve this issue with the help of the one who created him. He's instead relied on his own abilities and resources to solve the issue. Now, while our actions are undoubtedly important, the way that we react can be equally as important. So a question that that I need to ask myself and that you need to ask yourself is how will I respond when my actions have put me in an undesired situation? How will I respond when my actions have put me in an undesired situation? When I was 16, uh, I was in a circumstance where where I I had a girl who was interested in me and I was not super interested in her, but um, she was was really cool. And uh, I allowed things to go places that that they shouldn't have went. We went to a friend's house, we watched a movie, and then as... Uh, I drove her home, and we ended up kissing, and I walked her to her door. But after I walked her to her door, I was like, it, actually, the whole time I was in the situation, I was like, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I knew that God ha- didn't want me to be doing what I was doing, that I was doing it out of a, a place in my heart that wasn't pure. And uh, so I made the decision after that to kind of be a tool, honestly, in the, way, in the way that I did it. So the next day was a Wednesday, so we were at youth group, and she came up, and she was like, hey. And I was like, hey. Like, just kind of just a, a total D-bag. And then we had a conversation at the beginning of youth group. And I said, hey, listen, I don't feel like God wants me to be in a relationship right now, which was is such a, a poor excuse, like never pull the God card in relationships. That, that people can't argue against it when you say, I feel like God is calling me, and that is just cheap. But by the end of youth group, one hour later, everybody had pretty much known about it, especially the leaders. And my mentor pulled me aside and just reamed me. And he, and he lined up all of the things that we had been talking about. Like he knew that I, I wasn't supposed to be trying to date anyone. And, and it was just a mess. And I had never been more scared of one of my leaders. But what he did is he instilled within me this, this chance to respond. And luckily, I responded well. And I went and had a really uncomfortable conversation with her. And everything was fine. Like, we didn't really talk or hang out for the rest of high school. But she didn't hate me. And she didn't tell all of her friends because not all the youth group hated me either. So that was a bonus. But what I learned in that moment was that I had two different directions that I could go. 
I could get super defensive and try to respond that way and try to completely uh, avert the responsibility that I had as a leader, as a a guy in a relationship, whatever it may be, or I could have the uncomfortable conversation. And luckily I did. And good things came out of that. But at 16, it was such a valuable lesson for me to understand that we get the ability we get the chance to respond in every circumstance, even when it's not a circumstance that we wish we were in. We get the chance to respond. Right? David could have done something completely different. He could have approached God, but he just continues to screw up. He invites Uriah home, tries to have sex with his wife, then he kills him off, to, and then takes her on as his wife to make up for it. And you're like, no, all of those things are the wrong decision. And the reason I keep hitting on how much of a fool David was in this situation is because this was a man that did a hundred other things right who did a hundred other things well. I think it's vitally important that nobody, that we understand that nobody is immune from their humanity, but it's how we respond to our mistakes that ends up defining our lives. So then in chapter 12, the prophet Nathan comes to David and says, hey, listen, I know what you did and God knows what you did. And you've sinned against God. And because of that, this child is going to be struck with an illness, and that child is going to die. And in chapter 12, verses 15 through 17, it says, After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, and he spent the nights lying on the sackcloth, lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. I think the next point is this, is that we have to give it to God. Give it to God, pre, during, and post. That whatever the circumstances, we have to give it to God. We have to bring God in as soon as humanly possible. You see, unfortunately, David and Bathsheba's son dies. That what God said, what Nathan said, comes to be true. David's mistake leads to a terrible, terrible consequence. But within the circumstance, David changed his perspective and decided to seek God constantly. That in this terrible circumstance, God instilled upon David to be someone who pleaded, who laid on the ground in sackcloth and fasted and said, I want God to be a part of this. And even though it wasn't the circumstance that he wanted, something happened out of that. That because of David's willingness to change his posture, his now wife Bathsheba gets pregnant again and has a son named Solomon, who is also a king who becomes the wisest man to have ever lived and heir to the throne of David. You see, David's willingness to change his perspective, to change his posture, resulted in something great. And he had to go through a terrible consequence that nobody would ever want to go through, something that God would not want him to go through. But David was taught a valuable lesson that we need to seek God in all of the hard circumstances and all the good circumstances too, always relying on him, not just on our own human ability. God takes a rubble that is our lives and redeems it. And I think it's really, really vital that that all of us understand that there's not a mistake in our lives that we have committed, that we will commit, that is unredeemable. Every circumstance God is a part of, he is in control of it, and he will redeem every single part of our lives. He will make it something incredible. He will take broken, messy people 
and create kings and prophets. And he will take prostitutes and he will make them these people that people want to be like. They will hear their story and they will see, wow, look at how God uses all people, man, woman, noble or not. To end this, I just want to say a prayer. And so wherever you're at, if you're able, I would just have you maybe open your hands, close your eyes. And I just want to pray a couple things over us as we head into this next season. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that we would be a people who are always aware of our location. Lord, that you would uniquely equip us You uniquely equip us to be aware physically, emotionally, and spiritually who you have created us to be, where we currently are, and if that is where you want us to be. So Jesus, would we just have this knowledge that is beyond our own understanding, but Lord, that we would find ourselves in the places that you want us to be on a regular basis. Lord, we pray that we'd be a people who respond thoughtfully, who do not act out of impulse. Lord, that that we seek you in all things. Lord, whether it be vocationally, spiritually, relationally, whatever it is, Jesus, that we would thoughtfully respond and that we would always seek you out. And Lord, as people speak into our lives, Lord, that we would thoughtfully respond to them well, that we'd be people full of love and grace and mercy. Lord, that we would never act out of anger or impulse, but Jesus, that we would thoughtfully respond. And Lord, we pray that we would also be a community of people that bring you into every circumstance as soon as possible. Lord, that we would seek you in all things. Lord, create in us the people that you want us to be. And Lord, would you always make us aware that you can use this mess to continue to bring about the Messiah and the good news that he brought. We love you in your name. Amen. Well, hey, thank you again for tuning in to the College Age Movement podcast. If you can make it here on Tuesday nights, we would absolutely love to have you. We meet at 7 o'clock at Faith Chapel on Tuesday nights, and uh, we love this family, we love this community, and we would absolutely love for you to be a part of it. If not, we hope the podcast continues to be be something that feeds you, brings life to you. We love you, and we hope to see you really soon.